Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This week we have the privilege of discussing the Osteoarthritis Research Society International. Now, osteoarthritis is an incredibly prevalent and disabling disease, and despite being first discovered and described centuries ago, there remain huge areas where our knowledge of the disease and its management could be improved. These research gaps are an oasis for someone in the research community like myself who's interested in examining relatively virginal fields where discovery and impact are sorely needed. The Osteoarthritis Research Society International is the world's premier organization for scientists and healthcare professionals engaged in osteoarthritis research. The purpose of this episode of Joint Action is to provide an overview of the mission and vision of this organization and to muse over where it might go in the future. And we're joined by none other than Ali Mabusheri. And Ali is a professor of musculoskeletal biology in the Research Unit of Medical Imaging, Physics and Technology within the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ulu in Finland. He's also a professor and chief researcher in the Department of Regenerative Medicine at the State Research Institute Center for Innovative Medicine in Vilnius, Lithuania, and associate professor in the Departments of Orthopedics, Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the University Medical Center Utrecht, the Netherlands. So he's, uh, by, by virtue of that, a nomad. Um, and since May 2019, he served as the president of the Osteoarthritis 
Research Society International. Ali, welcome to the show. Good to see you, at least uh, remotely, but uh, we'll get you down to Australia in the not-too-distant future, hopefully. Hi, David. Thank you for having me on your podcast series. And it's my absolute pleasure to have you here and um, a great opportunity for us to have a chat. We don't often get a chance to do this in, in lockdown period, but um, hopefully we'll be able to see each other in a face-to-face and not too distant future. Before we get into the content of the show, <clears throat> any conflicts or disclosures that you might like to make us aware of before we get started? Of course, David. The only disclosures I have is recent funding from European Commission and various funding mechanisms of the Commission and some industrial funding from Merck, Colon Tissue Gene and, and Pfizer Incorporated. In fact, the Pfizer grant is sort of related to what we're talking about today, educating patients and doctors about osteoarthritis. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, the first part of the show, I usually like to engage with the guests to try to get to know them a little bit better. It's purely selfish on my part, just trying to get to understand who it is that I'm talking to. But I I think the listeners do appreciate knowing a little bit about who you are. But if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? I think I'm a patient person. You know, I think the things that are really worth achieving in life, you have to be extremely patient and determined. I'm diplomatic. I've been known to mediate uh, effectively between groups and individuals. And when it comes to problems, I'm pragmatic. And uh, I like to have plans B and C ready when, uh, you know. uh, You you mean plan A doesn't always work out? Plan A doesn't always work out. And certainly that was the case this year with our annual Congress. So we had to switch to plans B and C. And we'll talk about that uh, in more detail. But it's always nice to have an alternative plan when you come up with plan A. I think that's really useful. And you mentioned my nomadic existence. And I think the nomadic existence also has an element of contingency planning and it's sort of inherently built within it. I am quite dynamic. And I think in terms of my own personality, I'm quite sensitive too. And that's, I think, both a strength and a weakness. But those are, the, those are the key words I would describe myself. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and it's good to know a little bit more about you, or at least your perception of yourself. Now, COVID aside, but in general circumstances, from a professional perspective, can you tell me a little bit more about what you do? I'm happy for you to start with COVID, but then I guess if you move on and talk about what your life normally would look like. Sure, David. In the last uh, four months, I've been uh, under house arrest, working from my study, and uh, I'm actually based in the Midlands in the UK right now, and been trying to cope with the situation like everybody else has been. But before all this craziness started, I was doing a fair bit of traveling between the UK and Europe, specifically Lithuania, Finland, and Holland more recently. But in terms of my uh, sort of professional work, I suppose, I I would describe myself as a basic scientist interested in osteoarthritis from a cartilage biology, chondrocyte physiology perspective. So I'm really interested in cell uh, metabolism, cell biology and behavior. Brilliant. And when you're not uh, being the nomad, or even when you are being the nomad, but when you're not uh, acting as Ali, the uh, 
cartilage biologist. What do you enjoy doing outside of work? I love to uh, run and jog. Well, maybe jog gently is a more accurate way to describe it, David. I like cycling too. I've been doing quite a bit of that recently. I used to go swimming, but there have been uh, no open swimming pools for months now. So I've not been able to enjoy that. And I guess the beautiful weather we've had in the last few months in the UK has allowed me to get out and enjoy the sunshine, which is very unusual for this part of the world. And hopefully, as I said at the outset, we'll try and get you down here in the not too distant future and you can enjoy the Australian surf again. I know um, when you were last down here, I tried to drown you at Bondi. (laughs) <laughs> it, was, it was unsuccessful. We enjoyed some really nice walks together around Bondi and also in the neighborhood where you lived. Beautiful scenery. I do like Sydney very much. Now, moving on to the topic of the day, I'm going to talk a lot about the Osteoarthritis Research Society International. But I'm wondering if you could just tell us, I guess in the first instance, the organization's words around the mission, vision, and purpose, but then I guess how, probably more importantly, how you as the president interpret that. Thank you, David. ORSI is an organization that I care really passionately about. I've been going to the annual congresses uh, of ORSI since uh, 2003. In fact, that was my first meeting in Berlin. It was a very small meeting. I remember there were maybe just 300 people at that meeting, and there was just one session and uh, all the posters were in the same hall, etc. And I think it was small enough for me to be quite comfortable about not knowing much about osteoarthritis at that point, I must admit. You know, as I said, I'm a basic scientist. And at that time, I was learning. Uh, I still am learning. Uh, We all are. But it was a really good introduction to a really nice community of like-minded individuals. I enjoyed the interactions with the basic scientists and with a clinical and translational scientists, and I've been going to the meetings ever since. And in terms of the mission and vision of the organization, these are very clearly stated on the website of ORSI, and I'm not going to read them to you word for word, but I just want to focus on the relevance to the current situation that we find ourselves in. So the mission of the organization really focuses on the present situation, ORSI needs to be seen as the premier organization for osteoarthritis researchers and healthcare professionals, all working together to focus on the prevention and treatment of osteoarthritis. And basically, we go to the annual congresses of ORSI to present our research, to learn what everybody else has been doing, to do the networking that we love so much, and to be educated. And I'm going to keep going back to the term education quite a few times during this discussion with you and disseminating uh, the information from that collaborative exchange to the whole world, whether we are disseminating it to our colleagues working in the same fields and disciplines, or we are disseminating that further to uh, the general public and patients and uh, patient organizations. I think that's very important. Tremendous. Now, can you tell us, I guess, a little bit from a vision perspective, where the organization is trending towards and where you think it might be leading towards from a vision perspective? Sure. So the vision uh, statement states that we want to be the preeminent voice and expert resource in osteoarthritis research. 
and its application across the world and be a thriving international network of passionate, purpose-driven and progressive leadership. I think what that means is it's basically a vision of the future. So we must be seen as a source of inspiration and motivation, especially for the young investigators who make up a very substantial portion of our membership. More than 40% of our membership is people under the age of 40. Young investigators, PhD students, postdocs, fellows, uh, etc. So the vision statement describes the future of our organization, but also the future, the exciting futures of the disciplines that merge and coalesce to form our organization, because that's the only way we can affect change for the future and have a true impact on the lives of uh, patients. So bring in all the cutting edge research, the clinical knowledge, and transforming the way we diagnose the disease and the way we follow it up, hopefully teaching us new ways to conduct clinical trials in a new and more efficient way and facilitate the development of, of drugs for osteoarthritis. Brilliant. No, I think that's a very helpful description of hopefully where it is that we're going. Now, traditionally, as, as you well know, the meeting, which is pretty much the centerpiece of the organization at the moment, that annual meeting, is um, centered either in Europe or in the US. But obviously, the label of WORSI includes the, the term international. Um, what steps, moves does Orsi have to take this organization in a truly international direction? And what have, what have they been doing uh, in that space? Yes, that's a good, very good point, David. The I at the end of Orsi is international. And even though we've had most of our meetings in North America and Europe for the last two decades, I think we really need to think about the rest of the world very carefully, especially now that we face this COVID challenge. I think it was in the year, was it in the year 2000 when Orsi went to Sydney? Yeah. And I think attendance was uh, not as good as they were hoping because there were challenges associated with, you know, the very long distances that some people had to travel and there may have been some other external influences. But nevertheless, we do need to have a uh, meeting outside of Europe and outside of North America. And even before COVID happened, we had a really robust plan to go to Asia for one of our future com conferences. So the idea was that we would go to Vienna this year, to Denver next year, and then Berlin the year after that, and then hopefully Asia. But COVID happened. Uh, Vienna's been cancelled for this year and next year we're still hoping to have our meeting in, in Denver and we're just going to have to do a little bit of jiggling with the subsequent years because we managed to save some of the money that had been invested in the Vienna meeting so that we can go back to Vienna, uh, I think it's 2024. So uh, our plan is to go to Asia and uh, now that we face the COVID pandemic, it's forced us to think about how we operate. And I think it would be prudent for us to think about regional meetings. And why not? We have so many members all over the world. I mean, especially in your part of the world, there are so many super active Australian researchers who work in our community. I would love to see regional meetings 
um, happen and be coordinated by local facilitators, our members who are active in, in the different continents where we draw our members from. And uh, we've never been to South America. We've never, I mean, we've got very few members from Africa. And it doesn't mean that there's no osteoarthritis in Africa. It just means that there isn't that much research going on in, in that part of the world. So I think those are things that are not just aspirational. They are things that we must uh, prioritize as, as important things we must focus on in the future. I think one of the strengths, but I think potentially also one of the challenges of Orsi as an organization is the um, there's a diverse area of scientific interests and it's a very heterogeneous organization in that regard. And what what are your thoughts about, you know, I guess some of the satellite meetings, the the organizations that are, are springing up, whether it be sort of cartilage centric, imaging centric, um, and how best to approach that uh, moving forward? Yes, so we've had some joint meetings with other organizations. We had several, we attended together some really great meetings in China, David. And then we had a joint meeting with the Brazilian Society of Rheumatology in Fortaleza in September 2019. And um, the imaging meetings, I think the imaging people constitute a very important uh, portion of our community. And the imaging sciences are rapidly expanding and advancing. And I think it's really important for ORSI to uh, support those groups and to ensure that when they uh, are organizing their own chapters and meetings, we join up forces with them. And I think maybe in the past, uh, we haven't done enough of that. Not maybe, surely that is the case. I think in the future, we need to do more together. And my understanding is that a lot of the uh, manuscripts and papers that are being published now are from the imaging world. So that community is bound to expand. And a lot of our young investigators are going to get into sort of a mixed discipline kind of research. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in biochemical markers as well. And I predict that in the future, the really bright and motivated young scientists in our community will be pursuing research that involves imaging, biochemical markers, and um, uh, artificial intelligence, computing, etc. So I think in the future, we need to do more with them because when we have collaborative meetings and joint meetings, some really interesting ha things happen at the interfaces between those disciplines. That multidisciplinarity, I think, is where the excitement happens. Yeah, and I think that's definitely one of the strengths of the Aussie meeting itself, but consistent with what you're saying, it's also the challenge to satisfy uh, the curiosity and the appetite for scientific endeavor and advance within that one organization, unless it's, unless it's a little bit more all encompassing. So just thinking a little bit about the promise and the opportunities for Aussie as an organization, just wondering whether you could tell me what you think are the, the big opportunities that are present moving forward. So Every other organization that deals with rheumatic diseases and musculoskeletal diseases has an osteoarthritis chapter. So, you know, if you think about it, EULA has a group and a section on osteoarthritis, ACR does, and that other organizations such as SKO. And everybody is interested in osteoarthritis because it's a massive global burden. But we dedicate ourselves as a society exclusively to this problem. So I think we have a unique advantage in terms of focus and i think 
despite the very tight and narrow focus, we have a great opportunity to learn from other disease areas. So it's been quite pleasing to see that the program committee over the last few years has brought in speakers and scientists from other related areas. Just a few weeks ago, we had a Orsi Hour uh, webinar when Jim Gallagher came and talked about the relevance of rare diseases uh, to osteoarthritis. So I think those are really important areas and we need to do more of that. And I think in the future, I believe, it's my personal opinion, uh, this is not necessarily the opinion of the uh, executive committee or the board of directors, I believe we have to be much more patient relevant and collaborate much more closely with patient organizations. I say that because uh, from a selfish perspective, I, I have osteoarthritis of the knee and I deal with it. And, uh, you know, I happen to be one of the lucky individuals who's well-educated and can pick up a document which is scientific and clinical and interpret that. I'm talking about specifically the treatment guidelines that various organizations have published, including ORSI. But please put yourself in the position of an individual who's not scientifically or medically qualified, an individual uh, with osteoarthritis who hasn't even finished high school. There are many individuals out there in the general population. I think for them, acquiring information is extremely difficult, reliable and helpful information. I think we have an obligation to take our treatment guidelines and ensuring that they are properly distilled into documents that patients can understand. We know that osteoarthritis has a particularly strong impact on uh, socioeconomic classes where there's a poorer education. That's, that's a fact. And uh, it's the same with many other comorbid diseases uh, that affect those same patients. And it's interesting, David, that in the same areas, uh, COVID has had a particularly dramatic impact. So if you look at the inner cities, the deprived areas, uh, it's the same story. People have osteoarthritis, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and COVID has hit them pretty hard. And it's those areas I think we need to focus on in terms of reaching to the patients and developing educational materials for them. We have an obligation. It's a societal obligation way beyond what we do in terms of our scientific and uh, clinical duties. So, you know, traditionally, as I think you recognize, and obviously you're speaking as Ali Mobusheri and not necessarily as the, the president of Orsi, but... Orsi has been very much a researcher-centric organization. How do you see that moving forward, maintaining relevance, not only to patients with the disease, um, but also uh, healthcare professionals who are managing people with osteoarthritis, who, you know, by far and away, probably have, for the most part, stronger affiliations with their own scientific societies, as opposed to necessarily with uh, Orsi as an organization. So how, how will it maintain its relevance and grow? Well, that's an excellent question. So let me try and uh, answer that in reverse order. You mentioned the, the word grow. And I think that's a really important word, David, because I would predict that in the next three years, there will be drugs for osteoarthritis that are out there, marketed, sold. And uh, I'm not going to mention any of the companies, but I think in three to five years' time, there's going to be several drugs. Now, currently, our membership stands at around 14 to 1,700 individuals. Once there's a drug out there, 
we have the capacity to grow our membership way beyond our present 15 1700 so in terms of growth we are really at the edge of this really rapid period of change so do we embrace it or do we remain the focused research oriented organization that we have been so that's a fundamental question to for us to think about and thinking about more broadly about relevance to patients i think it's it is important for us to think about distilling all of our information for healthcare practitioners and as you say many of them will drive uh, draw their information from their local organizations and their local societies rather than orsi i think when you go to your general practitioner to discuss osteoarthritis from a patient perspective we can do a lot to inform that discussion between the patient and the healthcare professional of course orsi itself doesn't have the capacity to do that but if we make sure that the treatment guidelines that we develop have been translated into lots of different languages and distilled for patient consumption in collaboration with patient groups i think we're going to have our name you know known much further beyond the current boundaries you know of 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 our society's membership and i think orsi will be much more relevant to uh, patients and uh, global community uh, just elaborating on that a little bit further if we are to embrace those opportunities and you know i think as you say potentially there will be disease modifying agents that become clinically available in the next 2 to 3 years and with that potentially financial opportunity to grow potentially obviously having greater relevance to healthcare professionals who may be uh, naive to the management of osteoarthritis and the use of those agents as well as obviously providing information that's relevant to consumers at the moment obviously orsi has guidelines but most of the other activity both in terms of healthcare professional education and consumer engagement uh, they've remained loath to do so from an organizational perspective again i'm talking to you ali not not necessarily in your role as president but if we were to try to pivot in that direction how would you see the organization doing that as you have correctly pointed out most of our efforts have been focused around the annual congress and uh, the journal and we are a scientific research organization but the impact agenda has uh different meanings in different parts of the world um so when you talk about impact in i worked in the uk for for many years impact in europe and the uk really de- does need to incorporate this patient dimension so if you're working in a disease that affects individuals and patients you really need to learn when you write proposals to write uh patient summaries and lay summaries without that you just cannot get past the reviewers and the committees in terms of funding i'm not really sure if that's the case in other parts of the world i'm i'm sure there are other countries i'm not going to specifically name anywhere you don't need to do that you just need to write a solid scientific proposal you get the funding you do the work and you carry on and you continue making progress but if the money and this is a really fundamental question david if the money for your research is coming from the taxpayer if the taxpayer has been told that their money is going to go into healthcare and into improving their quality of life then i think 
all of us need to constantly remind ourselves that the money that comes into our labs and into our groups to fund individuals and research activity is taxpayers' money. And we have an obligation to, to do that. So if you're publicly funded, that's something very important to bear in mind. How can we be more relevant? I think through partnerships. We can't do everything alone. And I think uh, we are a small organization. In fact, the team that runs uh, the organization within association headquarters consists of uh, a dozen people. And some of them are shared between different societies and organizations. So if we grow and if we get uh, an increased critical mass within our community, I think we can much more effectively persuade other organizations to collaborate with us. Again, obviously, there's upsides to expansion, but there are obviously also threats. From a membership perspective, would the average member at this point in time be welcoming of expansion into a much larger organization? And when thinking about where the funding might come from to allow that expansion, what challenges lie therein? That's a great question. Yeah, we can't suddenly go in terms of growth from a 1,500 member association to 12,000. It doesn't happen overnight. And it really does depend on uh, how many of those disease-modifying agents there will be out there. But if there's more than one drug targeting more than one pathway, and I'm talking more scientifically now, then I think that creates opportunities to delve deeper and look more at mechanisms and to fill in the gaps. If you look at research that is done within our community, there are huge gaps, especially in the translational space. And I think we can do a lot to fill those gaps, but I don't think we're going to be able to grow overnight. That, that growth does depend on the availability of those disease-modifying agents. But really, there's so much to be done in terms of osteoarthritis education and prevention. Really, that's, that's where we need to focus a lot of our effort because I don't think the world is getting any thinner. We really need to think beyond our own circles and think about what are the, what are the uh, low-hanging fruits in terms of achieving patient impact and exercise and uh, weight loss, uh, weight management are really simple. And it's amazing how little of that message gets across to the public and to the community. Entirely agree. You know, there's a lot of great interventions that are already out there and readily available uh, that are completely underutilized. And there's lots of reasons behind that that relate to, you know, the challenges of changing human behavior and reimbursement and access and various things. So, you know, on one hand, there's a, a strong appeal for having disease modifying agents that are out there, but we shouldn't ignore the opportunities for intervention that we've already got. Now, before we move on to the next segment, are there anything, any other topics that you'd like to cover off um, about ORSI before we move on? Anything that I forgot to ask? I don't think we talked about the promise of ORSI. I think the promise of ORSI is just an area I'd like to focus on for a minute or two. We have a promise statement uh, that defines what the societal and global impact of our organization is or should be. And all of our members are working hard to advance the understanding of epidemiology and molecular mechanisms and identifying pathways and druggable targets. 
But I think it's multidisciplinary collaboration that will enhance that area of uh, activity, the promise. And that's through international collaboration. And we just need to do more of that. So I believe that we need to do more to make our society more international. And it's challenging right now without a, a face-to-face meeting. But I think what you're doing with your podcast series, what a lot of other colleagues are doing, I think these are fantastic activities that maintain that international network and continue people talking. And I think the talking is really important. So let's keep talking to ensure that our organization delivers its promise as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, as you say, there's a lot of opportunity outside of annual scientific meetings for us to to network, to collaborate, to converse, to interact, that the COVID period has probably made us more aware of. Um, and hopefully we can continue to leverage beyond when lockdown finishes. Now, just moving to learn a little bit more about Ali Mobasheri, the man, and uh, hopefully get a little bit of insight for myself along the way. What's the biggest challenge that you have in your specific role and how are you going to overcome that? Yeah, so, so as, as you might recall from our conversations when I visited you uh, two years ago, I'm originally from Iran and I'm very proud of my heritage, but I can't go back to my own country because I haven't been particularly complimentary about the present regime. So that con- contributes further to my nomadic lifestyle. People often ask me, why didn't you go back to your own country? And I explain to them, you know, the situation. I don't go into too much detail. But some people have real difficulty understanding that. So maybe what one day that will happen, that requires a really big step change and a uh, regime change in that part of the world. My mom was a diplomat and I was lucky because... Uh, I I started my traveling very early on in life. I was three years old and my mum was placed in uh, the embassy in Bonn in Germany. So that's when the traveling really started. So for me, the nomadic lifestyle is kind of related to, I'm not, not a refugee, but I've sort of been living the lifestyle of a refugee. So I'd like to have some stability in that area. And I think that stability is really important for the rest of the world as well. So, wait, wait, sorry, just to pick that apart a little bit further. So, when when you say stability, do you mean putting down roots somewhere more formally and staying staying put for a longer period of time, or more just having an opportunity to go to your birthplace and um, yeah, a bit of both? I think, David, I'd love to go back to my birthplace and see some of the historic sites that are famous and I should have seen decades ago. But for many years, I called the UK home. And I'm a British citizen. I've been a British citizen for more than 30 years. But since Brexit happened uh, four years ago, I felt less of a British citizen. And for years, I identified myself as being British and European. So the European part is gone. So part of me wants to continue to be British and European, but I know that's not going to happen. So that's why I've ended up working in Europe, because I think it suits me and my personality better. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for someone like yourself, it sounds like you got that travel bug very early with a diplomatic mother who probably spent a lot of a lot of time moving between different ports. Globalization has an inherent appeal, um, but I think there are challenges facing that in the short term. Sure. Now, Ali, if you were just focusing on anything that uh, could improve health and healthcare, what would it be? 
Yeah, it would be uh, getting out there, exercising more, walking and uh, doing the things that sometimes we take for granted. Now, um, this is a, an intriguing area that I have a personal interest in, but I'm interested in your motivation in terms of why you do what you do. Ah, <laughs> okay. So as a basic scientist, I, I am inquisitive and I was educated in um, educational establishment, UK educational establishment, where I was told you look at uh, published information and you have to be critical. So, and science rapidly moves on and uh, things progress. So I was taught from a very early age to be um, critical. Now, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things? Sure. We don't have time to read everything, do we, David? It's really difficult to keep on top of things. I have really enjoyed over the last decade the RC year in review lectures. That's for me the highlight of the entire Congress, and I'm really going to miss out this year. I like reading reviews, I like reading perspectives, and I think that's one really good way to keep updated. But this new medium, well, it's not really new, but for our community is relatively new. Podcasts and webinars, I think, fills the gap in, in the absence of an annual Congress. Uh, we can do a lot more to maintain contact. And I think this is a fantastic new way to really learn. Well, I think we learn, we learn a lot from each other just by talking about these things. So it's a, it's a huge privilege for me as well. Now, do you have any favorite stories from your work life? Sure. I was going to tell you a story about the time uh, my brother came and worked with me for two weeks when I worked at the University of Liverpool. And one day he had access to my computer and he, he sent a very inappropriate message to all my colleagues in the department. So he has access to my computer and he sends an email to everybody in my department, a simple sentence. Hello, everyone. I just wanted to let you all know that I'm gay and I hope you'll accept me. So this message goes out to everybody in my department. And that was on a Friday afternoon. And uh, the following week, I'm getting some interesting looks. And one of my colleagues comes to me and says, well, how can you be gay if, if you've got a uh, wife and kids and stuff? So let's sit down and talk about it. So then I realized what my brother had done. And so that's one story. It was a bit embarrassing, but anyway. That's what you have brothers for. You've got to he's done a lot family of family back irrespective of what they do to you. Indeed. And he's done a lot of things like that over the years. He's a lawyer now. So go figure that one out. <laughs> the, the other story I've got is about my, uh, my trip to Mauritius a couple of years ago, four years ago in my former institution. It was decided that the president of Mauritius at the time should receive an honorary degree. And she wasn't able to attend um, the graduation ceremony because of her uh, heavy workload. So I had the opportunity to go and visit her in uh, the presidential palace in Mauritius and uh, give her the message and greeting of, of our president and vice chancellor. That was a great fun trip. Now, for listeners who are out there who want to hear more about what you do and uh, your thoughts, is there any way that they can contact or connect rather with you online? 
On the social media, I'm only uh, active on LinkedIn, and I've decided to focus on that platform because I can, I can, I'm not limited by a number of characters, so I can put, you know, uh, links to videos and papers and so on. If you could have one billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I'd like to give everybody a message of positive hope, especially with, uh, with regard to patients with osteoarthritis. Uh, it's important for the patients to recognize that uh, we care deeply about you and your condition. We are there for you and we're doing our very best to do the best research. Don't give up, stay positive, uh, stay informed, get educated and just keep fit, active and manage your weight. And I think if you do that, it's not just your joints that benefit, it's the cardiovascular system, mental health, everything. So message of hope and uh, remaining active. Ali, um, lovely to see you. Good to spend some time together. Thank you so much for your time, your insights, your motivation, your enthusiasm. It's uh, great, great to have a chance to chat. Thank you, David. Looking forward to seeing you face to face and having that beer with you. <laughs> Hopefully not too far away. That is all for this episode of Joint Action. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Alternatively, visit the website www.jointaction.info to post a question, donate to our research, or send us some feedback. Between now and next time, please do take care of yourself, stay strong, and stay active. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.